Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Nick Augustine here with attorney Mark Scroggins of Scroggins Family Law in Dallas, serving Dallas, Collin, and Denton counties. This is the Scroggins Family Law podcast series featuring news and information in Texas divorce and family law. On today's program, we're going to talk about Domestic Violence Awareness Month and also some common co-parenting issues that pop up from time to time. We'll talk about, again, National Domestic Violence Awareness Month and some activities where people can get involved, as well as talking about reporting domestic violence and responding to complaints of abuse. We'll also touch upon some co-parenting issues that are common to many involving the dispensing of prescription medications, as well as what happens when there may be performance problems in school and how to co-parent on the same page or get as near as we can to being on the same page. Again, I'm here with Mark Scroggins. He's board certified in family law and is an aggressive and experienced trial lawyer practicing in Dallas, Collin, and Denton counties. This is a general information program. The program is not legal advice. Say hi to Mark Scroggins. Hey, Nick. How you doing? I'm doing well on a Monday. I am happy to be here to talk about some of the uh, topics that we touch on from time to time, and I think that it's good to kind of jump in there with uh, October being uh, National Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Yeah, that is, uh, unfortunately, that is something that has become all too, uh, all too common. And, you know, all you've got to look to is, uh, you know, sports now. And that has become the, you know, it's been a hotbed for about the last, what, two, three years. Um, actually, I guess, yeah, three or four years. And so it's a good thing that it's finally getting brought more to the forefront and people are learning more about it and how many people are actually subjected to it during well, their lifetime. Absolutely. And it's, the, the statistics are, are kind of shocking. Um, the you know information I was looking at before the show, we have statistics for general statistics as well as sexual violence, stalking, children, teens, and in the workplace. They've been collecting all these types of statistics. For example, on average, it says 24 people per minute are victims of rape, physical violence, or stalking by an intimate partner in the United States. It's more than 12 million women and men over the course of a year. Also, it says nearly 3 in 10 women and 1 in 10 men in the U.S. have experienced rape, physical violence, and are stalking by a partner and reported a related impact um, you know, and so one of the things that this brings to mind is, you know, what is, how do we define uh, domestic violence? What is it? How far does it need to go before, you know, some people may think there actually needs to be an assault or a rape. What about threats of violence? Well, I mean, threats of violence definitely come into play. I mean, so you don't have to, you know, get beat up for it to be family violence where, where it really becomes, <coughs> excuse me where you really get a, a difficult line on figuring things out is when it comes to uh, some of those, th- you know, what, what is a threat? Um, you know, if it, it's real easy if somebody's like, you know, I should have pulled out, you know, should have used the gun I had and shot you when I had a chance. That's pretty easy. You know, when you've got somebody else saying, God, you deserve to have your ass whipped or something like that. You know, does that qualifier of saying you deserve uh, does that take it to that point? Well, you know, that kind of depends on the rest of the circumstances. So <clears throat> it is not something you can, you can look at in a vacuum and everything, you know, unless you've got something that crosses that bright line of there is a physical assault, um, you know, then it's going to really be looked at in the, 
contained within all of the facts of a specific case. So uh, it's, it's going to depend on what's going on there. So tell us what some of the, before we get back into Domestic Violence Awareness Month, um, if for people who, when we talk about awareness uh, in a month like October, and you know, we'll talk about the Purple Thursday where people wear purple and observance, um, you know, it brings up these conversations, and they might come up among people who um, something's happened to them. On Facebook right now, we're seeing, um, I forget what people are posting, but they're posting something. It's, I think it was Me Too. Uh, and then the little script that says, if you know someone who is affected by uh, domestic violence, you know, create awareness by putting out this Me Too. So all of these people are doing this now. And, you know, it's also been not like you said in sports, but also out of Hollywood. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's going on. So people are talking about it and they're wondering, um, how does someone know if their person they're with, they're worried about something happen um, and the conversation might came, come up that it's been really close at, at sometimes and someone's saying, you know, I'm starting to worry. What should I do? Well, you want to always uh, make yourself available to talk to a person if, if they ever want to talk. But I mean, as far as being able to identify if somebody is a, a victim of family violence or not, you know, there are different things you can look for. This person showing up with, you know, bruises that, uh, you know, and, and providing excuses for, for the bruises um, that just don't make a lot of sense. Is it something that happens frequent, frequently? You know, I've known a lot of people that are, that are clumsy, but, you know, they're not uh, falling and getting, uh, falling down the stairs every other week and getting, you know, a, a black eye or, um, you know, marks on their arm that, strangely look like, uh, you know, hand marks where they've been grabbed and shaken or something like that. You know, so those are things that, um, that you can look for. If, if the person is making an excuse for something, oh, well, you know, stupid me, blah, 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 blah. Just because somebody says that doesn't mean that there is actually family violence there. And that's real important to remember because I'll tell you what, there is, as much as there is an epidemic of family violence, there is also an epidemic of people making BS charges of it as well to seek advantage in litigation. I see that all the time when you're looking at stuff and going, you've got to be out of your mind. You know, this, anyway, so, um, but when you see somebody that, that is constantly coming in, they've got a new scrape or bruise or bloodied up something and, uh, and they're making kind of uh, funky excuses that don't make a lot of, lot of sense. <laughs> You know, that's the kind of thing you, you should look for. And then, you know, you want to provide an avenue for discussion with that person. I mean, and that doesn't mean, you know, shoving it down their throat of, I know you've been a victim of domestic violence and we need to do this and we need to do that. It's a, hey, I'm here if you want to, if you want to talk about it. Is there anything I can do? Are you okay? Those types of questions. If you try to shove something down someone's throat, um, it runs all kinds of risks for um, the person not doing anything to, to get any help or, um, frankly, it, it opens the door for, for false allegations. And we've seen, seen that kind of thing happen, you know, historically as well. Right. Well, it's, you know, I can remember people talking about sort of the race to file. If someone has win that someone's going to try to get a protective order because of a family violence situation, it's like a race to filing at the courthouse. And, all of a sudden, you've got both people saying both of them are, are attacking and abusing. So, um, so, you know, we're not only talking again about the accusations, but defending against the accusations. 
Well, and you know, one of the things, um, family violence is a is a horrible situation. But what what's interesting about it, or I find interesting, is so often it is tied to something else. And what in my practice I tend to see it accompanying is uh, someone that has a drug or alcohol problem. Uh, you might see it with somebody that has other mental health issues, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that can really run the gamut what, what that could be. Um, and that's, you know, so, so there are a whole bunch of different things that can go hand in hand uh, with that. And, uh, you know, there are different things that, that people can do to try to, uh, you know, help the person who is the victim of the abuse. And then there are other things that the offender is going to be, uh, put through to try to rehabilitate them or educate them on exactly what family violence is and what is and what is not okay. Right. You know, and learning what is, what is or is not okay is to be very difficult for someone who's been in a long-term relationship where they're, they may even be a bit codependent. Um, people who have been abused by people seem to, in my opinion, over time they sort of get used to it and especially if it's, I don't want to say like lighter situations, you know, uh, like being rough, not necessarily pounding the crap out of someone, but, you know, to the extent <laughs> the person is saying, well, I can't leave. Cause if I leave, I'm going to have no money. So they'll put up with it. And I've seen this where people put up with things for years and years and years. And then we do do things like create awareness like this Purple Thursday. And someone says, I have had enough. I am, you know, and they start to start realizing it. And the, when the, suppose when you start thinking about things and the light starts coming on, you start admitting things to yourself that you might have not admitted to yourself before. And now it's time to go. And, and, you know, now if you tell the person, you know, you touch me and I'm going to divorce you, I'm going to go get help. And that person is now all fired up. And one little thing about who brought the mail in today could cause a real tumultuous thing. And people might decide it's time to pull the trigger on this, uh, meaning getting help and maybe leaving that person. So what can they do? They're scared. Well, you know, if you're if you're scared, if you if you think that you are in danger, the number one thing is leave. Period. Get the kids, you know, if they're kids, and go, you know, <laughs> and go, and you know, go to a go to a women's shelter. There are a multitude of different women's shelters out there. If you've got a lawyer, call your lawyer and tell them what's going on. They're going to tell you get the hell out of there. Go stay with a family. Go stay with friends. You know. If if all there is, the only opportunity that there is is a shelter, by all means, go to a shelter. There are all kinds of different programs that are in place to assist you get back on your feet. But do not stay there and subject yourself to, you know, potential harm. Uh, if it is in, you know, if you contact a lawyer, uh, you know, things can be done to have the alleged abuser removed from the house until – a hearing can be had. That happens all the time. Happens all the time. So, you know, it's just a time issue of, you know, being able to get everything on file and going down and getting an ex parte order. Now, the court is going to be, I personally think that courts tend to err on the side of caution, um, you know, because I don't think any judge wants to be uh, that picture on the nightly news or, you know, especially since they are uh, elected officials. Uh, you know, they don't want to ruin their chance for reelection by being that person that, um, 
didn't award some, didn't award an ex parte order. Now, you know, here's the other part of this that we don't talk about nearly as much. What exactly is a protective order worth? A piece of paper, Mark. And that's exactly right. I mean, so it is only as good as, you know, the person believing that it does anything. It's not bulletproof uh, armor? It doesn't do any of that. I mean, what it does is it provides remedies if someone violates it. So if someone, you go in, you get a protective order, and you think, okay, I'm good now. They can't touch me. Bullshit. I mean, that's just not true. They can absolutely do whatever they could do to you before. It's just now there are ramifications for it. So, you know, if I'm at home and I get, you know, my wife just, you know, comes in with a baseball bat and I'm asleep on the couch and just whoops my ass and I get her excluded from the house and I've got a protective order, you know, that doesn't keep her from coming back in the house. No, or paying someone else to. That's exactly right. Get you while you're coming home from work. That's right. Okay, so what it does is, you know, she's hanging out in the bushes and catches me the next time and whoops my ass with the baseball bat again. That means that I can call the call the police and she's going to be put in jail and there are ramifications associated with that. So, getting a protective order, albeit important, not the most important, okay? Right. The most important is making sure you are in a safe place. Yep. So, if that is not your home, that needs to be, like I was saying, with a friend, with relatives, in a shelter, whatever, where you have more control of the surroundings, and that person who is alleged to be the abuser is persona non grata, mm-hmm. you know, so that you, you actually have more of a protective wall up to keep that person from having access to you. Well, right. And, you know, in addition to working with your attorney who's going to help keep you safe, also have a plan and that you can talk about with your attorney as well as a plan on how to sort of disappear within thin air among uh, the general things, staying off your phone, changing up your routes, having someone else pick kids up from school. I mean, there's all sorts of things people can do to plan. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're just a whole, <clears throat> they're a whole mess of things that can be done. Okay. Whole mess of things that can be done. Um, but I think it, you're absolutely right. I mean, you need to have a plan, whether, whether that is something that is written down or not is, you know, questionable because if you've got a written plan right. that the, don't uh, leave it on the refrigerator. Exactly. <laughs> you know, you're you're looking at the possibility of really right. stirring things up. Yeah, and, honey, why do you have a bug out bag in your trunk? Yeah, exactly. Like I'm prepared. That, that's right. I watched that prepper show. Yeah. So, um, you know, conversely, and let me let me say this as well, um, because of the number of times that I have seen false allegations of this made, I. I makes me think of a a case that I had recently that was out of Denton County where allegations of family violence were made. My client got arrested, got charged with a felony. We were able to show that that was total BS. Oh, and obviously she she filed for divorce, got an ex parte protective order there. Um, We were able to flip the entire thing on its head, okay? The the charges against my client were dismissed. He's got custody of his son. Now, that was a long and expensive process. So there were a lot of red flags that went up before this happened. So if you are in a relationship with someone who is 
making threats or is saying stuff to other people about, well, he did this or she did that and was abusive and this, that, and the other, and you know that that is a figment of that person's imagination, you need to get out too. Mm-hmm. Do not put yourself in harm's way. Right. Because you are asking for that. Now, if this client of mine would not have been able to afford really good legal representation in both the criminal and the divorce proceeding, I can guarantee you he would be doing time right now. Okay. And that is what's so unfortunate about it. He had the, frankly, his parents had the financial wherewithal to be able to hire me and and criminal counsel that were able to write the ship. But like I said, it was a process, man. It didn't happen quickly at all. And uh, so if you see that kind of thing, boy, you need to get out and protect yourself. Right. Um, So that's just a little, you know, public service announcement for the other side of this. It, It goes it goes both ways. Right. It's true. I that. mean, you think about what people can. And, you know, I always say watch what people have do, done to other people when they're in fights. If you see, you know, your your wife or your husband or whoever, you know, is screenshotting things, keeping a dossier on people, and you know what it is when they, you know, throw down on someone else, you, shouldn't, you should, should expect those same things to happen to you because that's their M.O. So, yeah, stay out of harm's way. Um, we're going to move on to a couple other co-parenting issues, but first I want to – Again, talk a little bit about this. We're purple on October 19th, Purple Thursday. Um, and again, th- this is coming from the Domestic Violence Awareness uh, Month. Show your support for domestic violence survivors and raise awareness by wearing purple on October 19th. Organizations and individuals around the country will be participating, including the hotline. There is also a hotline number to call, which is Area code one eight hundred. I'm sorry, just one eight hundred seven nine nine seven two three three. Again, eight hundred seven nine nine seven two three three is the hotline for Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And again, go purple and share your pictures on hashtag Purple Thursday. So, Mark, uh, I look forward to you uh, sending me a picture of something with purple. Uh, you know that is not a problem. I tend to wear a lot of purple anyway, so I will definitely be right, right. sporting it on Thursday. Southern men will be all, you know, we're all ready. So There you go. All right. All right, so moving on to some co-parenting issues. Yeah. Um one of the interesting things that comes up, you know, it's Monday morning. Uh you know, Monday morning, lawyers have uh voicemails and texts and emails from clients talking about how visitation either went super this weekend, but more likely they may be saying Something's not right. And one of the things that might go wrong during a weekend visitation might be when um, the child or children return to primary parent and all of a sudden primary parent realizes that all the medications that they were supposed to take with their pill bottles, everything separated out, the very well diagrammed list of who takes what and when has not been followed and there are concerns that the kids are now, not doing well, they're going to be sick, things are going to be maligned. Um, this is something that happens. Oh, there's no question. And, um, <sighs> you know, if you're, going to, if you're going to have a child not take, and let me make sure that, that we distinguish between the difference between homeopathic medication and prescribed medication, okay? Um, if one parent doesn't think that Junior needs to be taking wheatgrass shots and 
uh, extra B12 and extra vitamin D and fish oil and all this stuff, you know what? They're going to be just fine, okay? If you have a child that has been diagnosed with asthma and they are taking a, uh, a long-term inhaler, not a rescue inhaler, but a long-term, say like an Advair or, you know, another one of those uh, types of deals where you see the number of puffs registered on the disc uh-huh. and they don't take that, you can have problems and you should have problems. Um, so that is always a difficult situation because you, you see now, you know, um, you have one parent who doesn't, doesn't believe that the other child needs certain things. And what my experience is, is that generally the court is going to default to someone who would really know whether or not the child needs it. And that is a medical doctor. So if there is a medical diagnosis of this child has asthma, he needs to take Advair, you know, puffs twice a day and then use his rescue inhaler whenever he needs it. And mom's refusing to give him the Advair because she doesn't think he needs it. Um, You know, she's looking at problems and, you know, what can the court do? Well, the court can, you know, scale back her, um, her possession and access of the child. I mean, that could be looked at as child neglect, so which falls under child abuse. So there are all kinds of problems that can come into play there. So if it is, if it is something where a child actually has a diagnosis from a medical professional, you are running a risk by not having that child take the proper medication. Now, where it gets really hairy, for lack of a better way of putting it, is on treatment of things like ADD, ADHD, there are different schools of thought on, you know, should a child be, you know, given Adderall or should the child be given something else? And one school of thought is if you don't give the child something else, then you run the risk of the child running amok and not being able to properly focus and learn correctly, and that you also run the risk of that child getting into other types of drugs to self-medicate to slow the world down, okay? Um, Then you have the other side of that, which is by providing these medications, the child is overprescribed and the child is a zombie and they can't really be a kid and they can't properly learn. And so what's the answer? Well, I don't know. That's why I'm a divorce lawyer and I hire lots of, you know, medical health uh, and mental health experts on that. And that's where if you disagree with something, you should hire a consulting expert or a testifying expert to go in and review the documentation of the person who's saying, this kid needs this drug and find out, well, are they right or wrong? You know, and you might just find out, you know what, Junior needs this, okay? Right. Or you might find out that, you know, that's questionable, and here are some other things that we could do instead of taking prescription medication that might help. And when you do something like that, I have found that a lot of judges are very open to, well, let's try to see if this approach will work before we actually have to medicate the child. But you need to make sure that it's coming from somebody that can, that can talk about it and have the scientific background to be able, be able to back up what 
you know, what you are seeking to do. Sure. And that's what's the most important there. So so say that that dialogue happens and right. it's a, a very good co-parenting situation. Mm-hmm. Everyone's happy. Should we go and have that added in added into the parenting plan? Should we get a court order? A lot of people want a court order. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's a good uh, a good idea. A lot of the time, and you know, something that I end up putting into a lot of end up putting into a lot of parenting plans where there has been um, fighting about some of these issues is we have we put someone in, for lack of a better term, as the arbiter on this. So. Let's say it's on an educational decision. Well, we list the, you know, uh, the principal of the child's school at that time as to making a decision on to whether or not that is educationally necessary. So maybe it's a tutoring issue there. With something like this, you know, if uh, maybe it's the child's primary care physician or if it's something where the child has exhibited certain mental health issues and the child has a psychologist, the child's psychologist will make a determination of whether or not, you know, they need to be on something and send that over to a child psychiatrist who can actually prescribe or something like that. So there are a lot of different ways to handle it. It doesn't have to be, you know, a knockdown drag out. It, what it, the problem is that everybody gets their ego involved of, I know best and let me watch right. me beat my chest and I'm the kid's dad. I know best. Or well, I'm the kid's mom. I'm and a I nurse. Know best. <laughs> right. You know, well, I'm a doctor. And, right. And so you run into those problems all the time. So the question is, you know, how, how much do you want to try to button up that parenting plan? How much do you think you and your, your former spouse can get along? How much do you think it's in the best interest of both of y'all um, to have a default provision where somebody else is tasked with, making that determination uh, so that it can, it can, I don't want to say hinder the ability to go back for a modification, but it decreases the likelihood of that. I mean, because you could still, you can have those default provisions and you could still say, nah, that's BS. I, I don't buy into that. I don't think that's right. And you can say, you know, because I've talked to Dr. So-and-so over here and they said that's, it's ludicrous and this, that, and the other, you can still go back to court on it. Right. But the other provides a remedy of mom and I can't agree, so we're letting the child's primary care physician decide, do you believe it is medically necessary to make that determination? Right. That makes a lot of sense. And again, sometimes talking to an experienced divorce lawyer who's dealt with this you know, can help people see things and ideas that they don't otherwise have on their own. Um, and just in a same way into co-parenting and kids and education, I just wanted to note about just the state of uh, what kids can be exposed to nowadays within the world of drugs. We see some really scary stuff online. Um, there was, I saw people sharing this video about this flack of stuff. I don't even, these synthetic things, but people act like zombies. And, you know, the, the worries of a parent are almost exponentially more than they were when people your my age were growing up um, you know, in the 60s and 70s, um, you know, kids are aware of so much now. They're on social media platforms we're not even on and don't know how to use. What do you do? Well, I'll tell you what. Scary. This is just, you know, this is just my opinion. Um, you know, we live in, a, in an absolutely incredible time and, in my opinion, the best country in the world. And we have all kinds of options. Um, that being said, you see more um, two-parent 
working homes now than you ever did. And so you might have mom and dad making far more money than their folks did. Um, but where the kids get shortchanged is time. And my belief is that you want to be, you want to know how the best way is to combat that spend time with your kids. You don't just buy your kids, you spend time with your kids. And that doesn't mean, you know, acting like, you know, uh, a jackass, you know, sit here with me and watch the game and be quiet, don't say anything. That means, you know, unless, of course, it's a UT game, and then I understand that. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, but actually spend some time with the kids. I mean, you know, my, my daughter's in college now, and, you know, this summer I, I took her and uh, one of her friends with me uh, on a dive trip. I've been scuba diving since I was, you know, in high school. And, you know, I still, that is something that I still do is spend time one-on-one with my daughter. Now, we spend a lot of time together with, as a family with my wife and, and all that. But, you know, making sure those lines of communication are open. And that's incredibly important. The more time you spend with your child, not grilling them, just being, you know, go out, throw the baseball, throw the football, go get ice cream, go, you know, ride a skateboard, make an ass out of yourself where your kid's laughing at you, you know, creating that relationship is the best safeguard you can have, whether it's keeping your, your kid from ever doing any of that or your kid being open with you about what they're doing, you know, so you know if there, if a problem arises. So I think that just like, you know, going through a divorce. What is the great healer? It's the only thing that will help you get through that process. In my opinion, it's the only thing that is going to help you be able to combat all the crap that kids are exposed to these days. That's a really good answer. And Dr. Phil should be worried because you're going to make a run for his, for his <laughs> seat there. Um, I, it's good. That's really good. Um, I, I cannot think of anything to follow that with other than, again, Purple Thursday, raise awareness for domestic violence. And, Mark, what if anyone wants to follow up with you, get to know you, ask some questions, get a consultation, um, get some help? You know, you can always call me at the office. 214-469-3100 is our main number. Uh, you can email me at mark at Scroggins Family Law. Uh, that is another way to get to me as well. And just uh, give us a call or shoot me an email, and we'll get you hooked up. All right. And so there are attorneys who can help people in Dallas and Collin and all over? Dallas, Collin, Denton, Tarrant. We're, you know, and around the state, frankly, if, uh, you know, we've been known to handle things all over the place. That's right. Well, attorneys do get conflicted out too uh, more often than people really think, but that's another topic for another day. We thank you all. Please do be so kind and share this information on uh, social media because not everyone uh, necessarily wears it like a sandwich board or a sign on their ball cap that says I'm having problems with any of the things that we talk about on this show. You know, so what I always like to say is, you know, share this and say, hey, please help share this information so others can find out about it. The same way we talk about domestic violence and all those other good things. Again, Nick Augustine with Mark Scroggins here at Scroggins Family Law. In Dallas, 214-469-3100. Everyone have a great day. Thank you.